0: Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, March 5th, 2017. It does not matter when you started watching YR, It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter your age. I think all of the Young and the Restless fans this week had a collective moment of oh <laughs> as we all realized together that the music box mystery was being solved right before our very eyes. I cannot even fully express how much I loved this week's show, how monumental this. Was I feel like I want to just walk up to Sally Sussman and Kay Alden and give them a, a a group hug? I want to have a long, slow, awkward group hug. I'm just kind of leaning into both of these women. It's very, it's, it's it's incredibly uncomfortable for them, but incredibly meaningful for me <laughs> because I really felt this week like. I was watching YR from back in the day when I started watching YR in 1993. These are characters with rich histories that are being presented to us now in a new way, and that's so important. It was just so wonderful. It was almost like Sally Sussman Kay Alden walked through the door at YR, kicked it down, and said, all right, what are all of the crap stories Lines that never got resolved. Let's start here. That whole music box thing, it never made sense to me, ever. I don't think it ever made sense to anybody, and it was such a big deal. Catherine's death and her relationship with with Jill and what she wanted her to have, what she wanted bequeathed to Jill, was just left hanging, and it's too big of a part of the Young and the Restless history to leave it hanging. So I love that as these new writers and consultants are taking over uh the the direction of the show that they're really zeroing in on things that 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 need to be talked about that need to be resolved and I just I loved it so incredibly much um The way that it's all come out, I feel a little bit sad that it seems to be detrimental to the Colin character, who is someone that I've liked seeing on the show. He is the newest sleazy sleaze bag of Genoa City. The man goes to the thrift store to buy back all of his things that Billy gave away, and he's walking through the thrift store finding his jacket and his watch and Each item that he picks up, he has this flashback uh, showing... more or less the moment where Jill gave it to him. I felt nauseous during the flashback scenes because it was so candy-coated. Every single one of the flashbacks was Jill just lavishing with him with attention and gifts and Colin returning it by oh, saying, oh, I just, you know, I I love you. This is just so wonderful. Oh, poor little meek little Colin was kind of the vibe of the flashback flashbacks, which doesn't feel true to the Colin character, doesn't feel true to the nature of their relationships. It's all happening in Colin's head, of course. I think this was Colin's projection of what those moments were like. Uh, he, he He's remembering that he has all of what he has because of Jill. Um, he was honestly more humble and more sweet in those flashbacks than I've ever, ever seen him. But the, all of the sweet nothings that were coming out of his mouth to her were exactly that they were just nothing they were worth nothing she showered him with gifts and affection endlessly and this is how he repays her he steals from her it's disgusting. When he's at the thrift store, though, they, this is the good part. I couldn't believe it. He looks over and he sees that music box sitting on a shelf. He picks it up. Of course, he's going to buy it. I think in his mind, he is thinking that this is something that should have come back to Jill. As she left it in a park, I believe she said. I don't remember that, but I'm sure it's true. Uh, and I think he's probably assuming it's something that she would want back and he he wanted to return it to her, probably. Uh, But he takes the music box and he fiddles with it for probably 30 seconds. (laughs) I mean, she spent months and months fiddling with this music box. And 30 seconds later, Colin pulls a little compartment and he finds inside of it a key to a safety deposit box. That's the moment where I, it all started dawning on me that we are actually going somewhere. That big old gaping hole in my continuity of, of, of my my enjoyment of the story of Catherine and Jill is actually going to be filled. Uh, I was so so excited. Colin goes uh, to, to to the to the bank and uh, he he finds the inside the safety box, deposit box is a note that is addressed to Jill, but more importantly to Colin, of course. There is this gorgeous, bright, glittery emerald and diamond ring, <laughs> which is obviously supposed to be the key to this mystery. He's finally solved the mystery, but I could almost see the wheels turning in Colin's head that there's, there's a dilemma happening right now. See, Now, the thing to do, Colin, would be to call Jill immediately. That would be the best route for her. It would be the best route. For you, honey, I solved the mystery. This thing that you've been wanting and yearning for—I've got it figured out. You know, I love you so much. I want to share this moment with you. Come on down to the safety deposit box. We'll do. We'll do it together. Uh, I mean, but no, of course, that's not what Colin is gonna do. Oh no, his first thought is to have the ring appraised. Now, it didn't trick me uh, when I saw the the, the jeweler coming in to look at the the ring. I didn't think that uh, he was like some mob guy or anything. I assumed that he was a jeweler, but at the same time it was a risk that Colin took just handing over the ring to anybody. He could have had all of the... He could have kept the ring in his possession the entire time, but he didn't do that, and that also made me angry with him because it all could have been over right then and there. He handed over this ring to some guy who I don't know. Uh, hopefully he trusts him. But I mean, I, I just kept thinking, well, I hope this guy really is reputable. Um, I, I, It really bugged me. But of course, the jeweler comes back to Colin, says that it, it's an incredibly rare uh, piece. It's worth an absolute fortune. And I think the little dollar signs, I could just see them in Colin's eyes. Colin realizes he has in his hands right now the answer to his prayers. He thinks this is going to solve everything for him. He thinks he's going to sell this ring and get the money and Jill is going to thank him for it at the end of the day. So let me make sure, let me just check myself here, Colin, so I can understand what you're thinking. You want to sell something of Jill's so that you can pay back what you stole from Jill. Is that how that works? I, and, and, and by the way, all of this, all of this... So that you can feel like a big man who not only saves the day, rescues the damsel, but so that you can feel as though you're financially contributing. I think in Colin's mind, he was he's, he's never going to tell her about the ring, ever. In his mind, at this very moment in the story, he's thinking he's going to quietly sell off the ring, restore the money to Jill, and that's going to be the end of it. But hey, Colin, wh- what makes you think That maybe Jill doesn't want the ring. What makes you think that she doesn't want the ring? If it weren't for you and your worthlessness, I'm sorry, but Jill could have had her original fortune and the priceless ring. I don't think I'm being too hard on Colin. I think I'm hitting the nail right on the head. I don't know if you guys are having more sympathy for him, but I am just repulsed by Colin right now. Uh, the only thing that I can give him is at least the scumbag had the decency to put the unopened letter into Jill's mailbox rather than just tossing it in the trash because this is the kind of person that I think he is. I think he could have just got rid of all of the evidence gave her back her fortune and allowed her to embrace him again with open arms but it's not going to quite work that way Colin. So uh, a letter shows up in the mailbox. Esther goes to get the mail, immediately recognizes Catherine's handwriting, and she flips out. Esther and Jill both have this moment looking at this letter that's Catherine's handwriting. It's not, it didn't come through the mail. It was just dropped in the box. And they're both thinking, is this some kind of catherine ghost trick i mean jill saw catherine at her bedside last week i think they're they're both thinking this could be a, a supernatural moment they both look like they had seen a ghost uh and i i loved how concerned esther was she wanted to be involved but jill the letter was addressed to her and she wanted to have her private moment to read it alone and as she began she opens up the envelope. She begins to read the letter out loud. Oh my gosh, you guys. We have this sort of split screen of Jill voicing over the letter. Uh, and on the other side, we had what looked like Catherine Chancellor writing the letter at her writing desk. It was so beautiful to me. I loved that. I loved that so much. In fact, that was a good trick. To me, that looked completely natural. I, I only watched it once, but I kept thinking to myself, is there any chance they actually shot this? Did they actually happen to have uh, any kind of footage of, of Catherine writing a letter? Do they just Did YNR just have that on the back burner or did they get somebody to recreate it? I'm sure they must have gotten someone to just wear a wig and have the jewels and everything, but uh, to me, it looked so very real. I thought it was brilliantly done. I liked that way more than the superimposed Catherine by by Jill's bedside, but that's just me. The contents of the letter blew me away, even far and beyond how cool I thought that writing uh, that writing scene looked. It it I, I I wouldn't have guessed it. I never would have guessed this, but it, it, as Jill is reading the letter, we are realizing that this is It, it amounts to a full confession from Catherine about Philip. And I think it was a confession to Jill, but also kind of a confession to herself. Catherine was, in essence, stating in this letter this truth that everybody sort of knew, but I think that she never really admitted to herself was true. Uh, I don't think she admitted to anybody else that it was true, but she said, Jill, Philip loved you. Only you. And I, I mean, I couldn't believe I was hearing it. It was such a powerful moment. And I think that in order to understand how powerful of a moment that it was, you kind of have to understand a few things. I mean, first and foremost, that Philip really did love Jill. Philip wanted to divorce Catherine and be with Jill. And to be with their son let's not forget that Philip and Jill had a son together who was um you know, it was just you know this was a a love child out of wedlock. But Philip had realized that he he wanted to be uh to with Jill, and he he wanted to end his marriage with Catherine that he felt was kind of over for a while now. But the other thing you have to keep in mind uh, that as much as Jill and Philip wanted each other, Catherine wanted. Philip, Catherine did not want to let her husband go. She loved that man. In fact, she, when he told her that he wanted a divorce, and we saw a flashback of that scene of her defiantly signing the divorce papers, a little bit you know later on in in the story. At first, she begged him not to go. He told her that he wanted to break up with her, and she lost it. I mean, she dropped to her knees on the ground and started reciting the Lord's Prayer. I mean, she she begged him not to, uh, not to leave her and yet he did it anyway. So, we have um this 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 juxtaposition of Jill and Philip loving each other as much as Catherine loved Philip and I think Catherine always hated Jill just for taking him away. She always saw Jill as being the reason that she didn't have her husband. And in fact, Catherine would rather have died than lose Philip. As defiant as she was in that divorce paper signing scene, she ran him off a cliff in an attempt to, to kill them both she drove the car off the road trying to kill them both only of course Philip died and Catherine survived um and I think that just uh, for crying out loud that has to be such a burden to have had to carry all of these years we have Catherine feeling betrayed by the fact that her husband fell in love with another woman. I mean, it's not having an affair is one thing, but imagine your husband, you know, who you feel is the, you know, your, your great love, uh, loves somebody else. It's a horrible feeling, I'm sure. So Catherine's feeling betrayed. She's feeling suicidal and then she kills him. She lives, she survives the car crash and she has to feel an enormous amount of guilt for her, the entire rest of her life that she killed Philip. And rather than um, coming to terms with it, I think that Catherine funneled all of those feelings into her hatred for Jill, into the feud with Jill. Now, Jill, on the other hand, felt robbed, I think. I think I think Jill felt robbed of the life that she felt she had that was Philip was the father of her son they wanted a life together so badly and it was Catherine who took that from her I, I, it's it just it, it was the absolute source of their entire feud that would span the next 40 years to come so here we are in present day for Catherine to finally admit the these things to Jill is it's momentous. It is. It is a momentous occasion, uh, and especially for for Jill to be reading this, to get this confession, to finally hear Catherine say it in her own words. What Jill always felt was true, but also Catherine saying, "You are loved. You are worthy of loved." I tried to of love. I tried to make you feel like you were always lesser than. But I think Catherine, in her heart, always knew that she was just punishing jill she just wanted to punish her and and i liked that she told jill you you know i was wrong you were worthy of the love you were worthy of the love that's such an incredible message that i think jill needed to hear right now especially as she's coming off of having a heart attack and trying to find something to make her feel like she can continue on um the ring which was, of course, added in in retrospect. This is new to the story. But the ring is something that Philip wanted Jill to have. Catherine found it. She somehow found it. She took it and she kept it, kept it away from Jill for all of these years. Another way to further punish her. No, you cannot have the last thing that Philip wanted you to have I mean they fought over so many things over the years over the house uh, there was uh, and, and that's how Jill got uh, joint custody of the house they found some other will of, of Phillip's but I mean they've been fighting over estate things uh, for so long but that Philip found this really rare and incredibly expensive is kind of almost to the side ring um, that, that it was something it was a, a bauble we'll say uh, that that he wanted his love to have um, and uh, and. It was it was it should have been hers, but Catherine kept it to her, uh, kept it from her. Um, I I think that even over the course of time that I've been watching. I hope that the the folks who've watched the show from the beginning feel that I've done a good job of recapping that storyline because I do have to say I wasn't watching it at the time. I have uh, knowledge from 1993 on and even since 1993 I think that I have seen the Jill and Catherine relationship develop from that rivalry to the love and that's sort of the note that the letter ended on. That's the note that I always end on I completely know and understand that this was a wicked wild feud but in the end I believe that these two women really did come to love each other and appreciate each other just over the years all of that passion all of that hatred had to turn into to love and that's that's why it never made sense to me that Catherine would leave Jill the mystery music box and leave her out of everything else Catherine gave Uh, what did she end up giving it to the company I can't remember what exactly Jill got in the will but it didn't amount to all that much I mean, Devon got the bulk of her estate, uh, and Jill got the music box, and it was always kind of a slap in the face to her, I think, because she felt that they ended on a note of love, and it felt like a slap in the face to the fans, too. We were invested in that story. Uh, It's one of the greatest feuds of all time on The Young and the Restless, And, and then it just went out with this Peter and this music box mystery, and it never made sense to me um although I do think that uh, Catherine was too embarrassed to admit to Jill that she had done something so petty I, I think as to uh, petty but also um just villainous to to keep this ring to keep something that she that she knew Philip wanted Jill to have I you know I I she I don't I I, I liked that that Murphy mentioned to Jill in in trying to explain it all that she didn't want the fine the last final argument because they were left on uh, such a, a love note, when Catherine died, she didn't want to say these things to Jill's face. I think it was hard enough for Catherine to admit that she'd done what she had done. I think it just, she knew if she told Jill, it would have caused another riot, an absolute another riot. And I don't think Catherine wanted that toward, toward the end of her life. So, I mean, to me, the whole thing just makes complete sense. I, I, I accept this so easily, <laughs> even though the part about the ring was written into the story later. I just, I accept it. I, I understand. It fits Kind of just seamlessly into my mind the the re, the emotional reasons why she took it, it, the emotional reasons why she kept it and hid it, uh, and and the the reason why she didn't tell tell Jill that she had done this. I mean everything makes sense to me except <laughs> that, that why Catherine would make the ring uh, or make the mystery so difficult for Jill to find, why she would hide the key and make it and leave her this mysterious letter. I mean that part doesn't entirely make sense to me but I also accept that it's it's a rewrite uh, that we're kind of rewriting some of the history right now and it's certainly no fault of the current writing team. I, in fact, I feel like they compensated for this crap storyline, this crap cliffhanger that just never is a loose end that just never they just threw, you know as if the fans didn't matter. Uh, you know, they, they just left it hanging there and 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 never addressed it and I feel like the new writing team just Compensated for that crap so beautifully. But in the letter that Joel received, there is a mention from Catherine. That there is something that she was supposed to have from Philip. Catherine acknowledges that I'm I'm giving you know there you know Ca- Philip wanted you to have this. Catherine didn't say exactly what it was, but uh, it was it was clear to Jill that there was something more to the letter. So Esther calls Murphy. Oh, Murphy comes back into the scene. Uh, he seemed different. To me, there was just something which wasn't the same. I don't know if it's because he wasn't with Catherine or what the deal was, but I don't know. I didn't feel the same exact Murphy magic as I did back in the day. But it was still nice to see him, of course. Um, I mean, it's just I, I I got chills when he first came on to scream. He looked he looked different. He even acted maybe a little different. Something about it was just was was different. Uh, where whereas and it wasn't discomforting, but um, but it was still nice to have him there. And he was with Catherine. In her final days. So Jill wanted to question him to try to understand, uh, you know, wh- what else was there supposed to be? And Jill doesn't really disclose the full emotional content of the letter. And I don't think that Murphy knew that. I think he knew that this was something that Catherine needed to write. It was something that she she needed to bear her soul, that it had to do with Jill, that she was I I think Catherine probably alluded to the the little um, hunt, the little mystery hunt. But I don't think he knew the details. He did know that there was something that she was supposed to have uh, and uh, yet wasn't able to provide a whole lot of info on what that uh, would have been. But they did figure out together that there somebody, somebody (laughs) must have figured it out, gone to, you know gone to to the um, figured out whatever the mystery was decided to give her the letter but took whatever it was that she was supposed to have uh, from from Philip but Jill, goes through this process of accepting the letter as her reward. I think in a lot of ways that was a lot more valuable to her. The message that Catherine was giving, the apology that Catherine gave um, uh, and 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 the, the love. I think that was what Jill you know, took from the letter. And, and to her, that was enough, which is a good thing because the gift is gone. The gift is just gone now. The next thing we know, Colin just shows up to um, Mitchell Sherman's son. I can't think of his first name. Jill's lawyer with a cashier's check for the exact amount that he stole from Jill. My question is, Colin, what about the excess? (laughs) Where's the rest of the money? Because if it's the exact amount, he made a point of saying that. Did you notice that? Because in my mind, I thought, wait a minute. Is, does that mean that you paid her back exactly what you owed her and no more, no less? Well, what if there was more? I don't know. I just I don't trust him. My trust in him is absolutely completely gone because he's a little lying weasel. <laughs> he forks over the cashier's check. Uh, Jill's lawyer goes to Jill. Jill. Let's her know that oh, out of nowhere, hallelujah, Ka- uh, Colin has had an enormous windfall. He's provided me with this huge cashier's check. All of your money has been restored, she knew immediately. She did not take a beat. I saw her heart breaking all over again in an instant. The second she saw the check, she connected it to what had happened. She, she knew Colin had sold, uh, sold whatever it was. I'm sure she's going to ask him, uh, but he had, st- had sold it to pay her back. Um, I, I I just feel so terrible for her. I feel terrible for her because she sure picked the wrong man. I mean, Colin... Never opened the letter. So it was sealed. Colin actually thinks that he's, re- he's repaid the money. So Jill's going to f- see that. And she's just going to embrace him. Welcome him back into her house. And her arms uh, unquestioned. Just open arms. Come on back, Colin. Great job. You, you. I'm just so proud of you. You're such a man. I mean, in his fantasy mind, this is all going to work out well for him. But... I just don't think so. I just I don't know how on I I I think it's hard to imagine what Jill is gonna do in a way because she seemed so heartbroken. But at the same time, we've seen examples of her showing weakness when it comes to him. I think that Jill still loves him very much, so I'm not sure how exactly she's going to react, but I don't know how she could ever forgive him, and I don't want her to. I don't know how you could ever forgive somebody. And, and continue to build a life with someone who you know you cannot trust. He has proven himself to be untrustworthy over and over and over again, and it bugs me also that Jill never even got the opportunity to see the ring. He just scooped it away. She never got a chance to see the ring that her beloved Philip Chancellor wanted her to have over 40 years ago before Colin pawned it away. I hate this man right now. I hate this man right now. If he thinks that Jill would rather have the money over the heirloom, over... The experience of opening the box herself, realizing that she solved the mystery, that she fulfilled Catherine's last request for her, then Colin does not know her at all. Ravi is such a cutie pie (laughs) and on top of it he is a really nice guy. Uh, Phyllis told Ravi all about what Lauren is going through that her son has been captured and is being held hostage Uh, and Ravi goes on to tell this story about his uncle. Who lost his wife, and he was so very distressed about it. He was building a garden for his wife, and when the wife died, he didn't even really want to finish it. What's the point? And so Ravi and his father went to help uh, his and 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 with the townspeople uh, went to, to to re to finish building the garden wall. And uh, he has this moment where he says, "You know what, Phyllis? Let's 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 move." forward with the Fenmore's app to make Lauren proud let's tend Lauren's garden wanky wanky. <laughs> that's Michael's job to be tending Lauren's garden but <laughs> I thought the, the thought is what counted and it worked he said let's help our friend uh, and, and they did they made the Fenmore's virtual dressing room app a, a, like a, a wild success everybody's using it It's generating tons of money for Jibot, but now that Fenmores is not such a dud and Phyllis and Robbie pretty much single-handedly saved the company, Jack's not gonna sell it. Ashley's not gonna sell it. Uh, Jill was hoping that she'd be able to buy her shares back, but that's not gonna happen. While Jack is like counting his money, hand over fist. Uh, uh, so, on top of <laughs> the fact that now, because of Colin, Jill will not be able to buy back Fenmore's. This deal is off the table. Uh, and 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 going a little further beyond that, if. Colin hadn't stolen all her money in the first place. She would have bought Fenmores two weeks ago. It would have been Jill raking in the cash, hand over fist. But no, 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 no. Colin had to betray her. And, 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 hmm. had Colin not betrayed Jill, then the other person who would have been raking in the profits would have been Lauren. Lauren would have been rolling in dough. She would have been at least, at least a 10 millionaire. I mean, so, so, so no big deal, Colin, no big deal. Uh, Lauren just would have easily had enough money to, you know, rescue her son from being held hostage. I think that Paul had the right idea. I was team Paul at the very beginning of the week. Paul encouraged Lauren to not pay the ransom. And I was kind of with him. I, I mean, I I know as a mother that that would be really hard to do. Uh, but I think that the better strategy, the better non-emotional strategy would probably not to have just paid it. Uh, And it hurt my heart a little bit, but I thought it was noteworthy that Lauren lashed out at Paul for making the suggestion saying, you don't know what it's like to have a son who's in mortal danger like this. And there is a very heartbreaking moment where Paul is sitting there Unable to say that he's going through something similar. His son is in mortal danger, is on, you know, is in witness protection. He's never gonna, he knows he's never really gonna be able to see his son again, or that's how, you know, what he believes at this point in the story. So it was very sad that he wasn't able to open up about that, uh, and it kind of made him, it put a little bit of a strain on their friendship. But of course, everybody understands that Lauren is a mother in crisis. She wants to do whatever she can do to help her son. And the number one thing she wants to do is pay up immediately. Lauren is like going through their assets, ready to sell everything, ready to sell the company, ready to sell her house, ready to drain all of you know, anything she's had uh, in, in her accounts. And I, I tell you, another really surprising and nice moment was was Michael. I mean, Lauren immediately said, we're selling the condo. We're, we're doing everything. We're going to scrape together this 10 million and we're going to get it to to the to to save my son and Michael doesn't even blink does not even waste a moment he was supremely supportive It would change their lifestyle completely. Draining out all of their money and giving it away on a hope that her son would come back. And and Michael, he just went along with it. Absolutely. And supported her without asking any questions. Michael was right there by her side for all of this and whatever she wanted to do. Um, They decided first to go to Jill for a loan. Uh, No luck. (laughs) Jill doesn't have any money because her scumbag husband drained her of everything she had has. But I was kind of surprised that uh, Jill has more money than Lauren. I would have thought that Lauren would have been more wealthy than than Jill. But I don't know. I guess maybe because she and did she she must have she's inherited from all of her husbands. Maybe that's it. (laughs) But I thought that was kind of interesting. But since Jill doesn't have the money, Lauren and Michael go to the bank of Victor Newman. Of course, (laughs) they show up at Victor's door. Honestly, I thought that was kind of an awkward situation. Um, I mean, obviously, just asking somebody for $10 million is a big deal. But I thought, you know, this is kind of putting Victor and his family in danger, too. If he gives the money and and even gets involved in this hostage situation, then uh, who's to say that that the Kidnappers. are not gonna say, "Let's go kidnap Victoria or Nick or you know or or Faith or something in order to you know g- draw more money out of someone who is willing, who has it, and who's willing to pay." So I I, I was I don't know I, I was surprised that Victor would want to get involved in that and that Nikki would let him. Then again, what's ten million to him? <laughs> I don't know. He's a billionaire, right? He probably has a whole lot more. I did completely forget that Victoria had been held hostage at one point. I mean, I was watching at that time, but, and I just have vague memories of her being in a dark room, but for the the most part uh, I I had forgotten about the fact that she got kidnapped uh, because of uh, uh, Billy's gambling debts. (laughs) I mean, there's another reason to never forgive his ass again. I mean, if if your gambling got me kidnapped, I'm never speaking to you again, ever. (laughs) Oh, but I tell you what uh in addition it's it's hard in a week where we had all of this uh revelation when it comes to Catherine and Jill's relationship that I say this with no small weight I think that one of the best scenes and moments of the week uh was Nikki and Lauren and there was just this very simple act of kindness from Nikki toward Lauren. Uh, She is so distraught over what's happening with her son. She's picking and peeling off the paint from her manicure. And to distract Lauren and to just kind of take her mind off of what's going on and to connect with her and maybe make her feel calm Nikki goes and grabs her bag and with some nail polish in it and a a nail file and she offers to fix Lauren's manicure and I thought that is just such a nice little moment of humanity uh just um, it it just it seemed so so nice I hope everybody else appreciated that as much as I did those are just the little little tiny little gems that we haven't been getting within the past couple of years of Yandere, the past couple people who've taken over the show—they want to give us explosions and 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 buildings on fire and plane crashes—and yet I appreciate that little moment between Nikki and Lauren far more than any of that. I think I would remember, you know, the, the I would remember that moment more than um, the, than a, a collapse of the underground or whatever it, it may be. I mean, I don't need YNR to be action-packed. These little tiny moments of humanity are enough for me. Well, so Victor is involved in this whole Lauren situation, which is kind of great, but the thing is Victor immediately starts doing what Victor does best, takes Over the whole situation, I mean, so far it's working. But he's he's in tough negotiations with the kidnappers. He says you're gonna, Lauren, when they call you, you're gonna say exactly what I tell you to say. I'm in charge now. If it's my money, then I'm running the show. Uh, They had to expect that that was gonna be the case. Uh, But he did manage to get a picture for Lauren to prove that Scott was still alive. Uh, And he is using his own resources in uh, in in the, the sent somebody in middle east uh, to do to do the ransom money drop uh, the thing that i really wasn't expecting is that kevin's involved kevin is going to be traveling to the middle east to help deliver the money that is such a bad idea i, I would never let kevin go there. If I was Michael or if I was Chloe or anybody, Mariah, who knew and loved Kevin, it is unreasonably dangerous for Kevin to be doing this right now. I saw a Dateline episode about something very, very similar. This guy in Mexico got kidnapped and held hostage like in a box, literally in a box for I mean I think it was years I think it was even beyond months and finally finally I mean the, the the people who kidnapped this guy put his family through hell kept demanding more money and stretching it out I think for years and they tried to pay and it just they wouldn't even uh, they exhausted the family in every way out of their money of their emotions of everything and, and 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 in the end I think they sent somebody to finally finally make the drop of the money and then that guy got snatched and held hostage that's what they do oh, they might let Scott go but they could easily snatch away Kevin that is what they do so I was I was as soon as I saw that I remember the Dateline episode and I was like oh no Kevin no <sighs> don't do it I'm sure that whyar are not gonna take it in that direction and in a way, I'll kind of be, I think I'll be happy when the Austin situation is over. It is chilling. There are moments of it that are chilling and thrilling, but at the same time, I don't want it to be dragged out too terribly long. I mean, so far, part one seems to be successful. Kevin was able to get to the Middle East and do his thing, but it seems like something's gonna go wrong from the previews of next week's show. It looks like like something like the kidnappers got tipped off or thought that the the Fenmores were gonna pull a fast one and they just like w- w- scoop Scott up out of this darkened room and and take him away uh, he's got a black bag over his head I hate seeing that just that image of someone bound with a black bag over their head that creeps me out uh, and and I kept thinking wait a minute could the kidnapper? because the last time we saw somebody get kidnapped with a black bag over their head, it was Adam,
1: and it was Phyllis who did it.
0: Before all of the craziness of the hostage situation showed up on Victor Newman's doorstep, he was enjoying a casual, maybe morning uh, or evening, sitting in his living room reading a copy of Leanna Love's ruthless and unauthorized biography of the story of Victor Newman. Nikki's looking at him going, why are you reading this trash? <laughs> when this book was published, you went and bought every copy because it was so uh, salacious. But Victor's reading it and he's saying, you know what? Maybe I need to write a story from my perspective about the life of Victor Newman. I have a feeling that a certain recently rescued journalist might be helpful in writing uh, Victor's book with him. Maybe as a way to repay a $10 million loan debt. I don't know. But I find all of this to be a great tie-in, of course, to uh, oh, 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 what's this? <laughs> Ali's very own copy of the brand new released I'll Be Damned by Eric Braden book, hardcover, subtitle, How My Young and the Restless Life Led Me to America's Number One Daytime Drama. (laughs) I am so happy to own my copy here of I'll Be Damned, and I will tell you, Like, I got this for my birthday, and I immediately whipped it open and read the first chapter. This is so good, you guys. I am really, really into this book. I've only read the first chapter, but I I keep trying to make moments to read it, uh, because the first chapter, completely compelling. I mean, you have to, I think, separate... Who Victor Newman is from who Eric Braden is, because for all of these years that I've watched this show, it's only really come to my mind recently. He was born right smack in the middle of Nazi Germany during World War II. I mean, I mean his story is just incredible, and and I, I, I like the tone of the book so far. Uh, I, I like, um, learning more about him I think there's just there's just so much here that I, I'm I'm so exciting I'm so excited about and I, I I'm planning to do a book review I, I I think that it's gonna be really good I think it's gonna give me a new perspective on Eric Braden I think I'm going to be able after reading this to connect maybe the things that Eric Braden might be thinking when he you know in a way that he's approaching a scene this is an extraordinary guy and I, I'm really excited about it um, he's he's YNR to me. Uh, probably my favorite guy. I, I mean, I know the character is very villainous, but I, I like me some Eric Braden. It's a beautiful book, by the way. Um, I can't even tell you the last time I owned a hardcover of a book or, or even read a book that's not a, the soap opera magazine at this point, but it's so nice um, and it's it's easy. It feels easy to read. The chapters aren't real long um, and it's just, it's got, it's got some photos in it. I'm not going to show you too much because uh, I hope everybody goes out and gets their own copy so that you guys can read it along with me. Last week's poll question was would you like to see Jack and Gloria in a somewhat serious relationship. I guess I'm a little surprised by these results. 77% the overwhelming majority said, oh please no. Please no, do not show me Jack and Gloria in a relationship. Only 23% said yes. I voted yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little crazy, but there's something about it that appeals to me. I normally do comments at the end, but um, these two represent the two different uh, sides of this question, so I thought I would read them aloud here uh, right now. Lauren, then at YRchat.com says, No, I do not want Jack and Gloria together. So gross. I know there probably isn't much of an age difference there, but the way that they are portrayed makes it strange. The men on the show are always dating younger women. The men are made out to seem younger than they actually are. So it just seems weird when people who are probably totally age appropriate for each other in real life are getting involved. I really Lauren thought that's an interesting point and 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 really true. I, the guys do usually date younger women so in a way we, we we want to pair jack with a hillary or that's that's where our mind automatically goes to some of the younger women on the show whereas these two actors are really about the same age and there you know there's something about it that's like well wait a minute they're actually in age appropriate relationship that's no fun <laughs> uh, i like that point but i also like this comment from marianne marianne Marion. Marion. <laughs> That's how it's said. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, YRChat.com. Marion says, in real life, I, I'd absolutely be against it, it, it carrying on. Gloria has been intimate with both father and son now, but I really like them as individual characters. So I want their I hate that I like you game to go on further. Glock all the way. Glock. I guess that is their couple name. I hadn't thought about that, but I, I kind of agree with, with more with Marion's side. I just thought, you know, these two characters are individually very interesting and there just seems to, to be something kind of oddly compelling about them as a couple to me. It's also, though, kind of naughty and scandalous, which makes me love it. I mean, Gloria takes a moment to talk to Jack this week and let him know that she can be of assistance to him in many ways. She's not just a receptionist and a good massage giver. No, she can really be his right-hand woman, and Jack... (laughs) in response promises her a rapid rise
1: <laughs> if if
0: she continues to be loyal to him i think that gloria is she's definitely on the rapid rise with Jack (laughs) there's just so many double entendres in these scenes I love it oh so much Uh, there was a little moment though where uh, I mean Phyllis has caught them kind of talking before uh, and she guesses uh, that Jack is involved with someone she doesn't put two and two together about Gloria but she notices there's a little something different with Jack he's saying he's over her and in Phyllis's mind that means you know maybe he's moved on with somebody else uh, and And the 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 subtext, though, that I'm getting is that Jack is probably not really over Phyllis, but I think he feels that he needs to be. But uh, I think the truth is that I think Jack is a little thrilled by the thing that's going on with Gloria. He may not be in love with her, but (laughs) I think that her her finger magic, (laughs) does seem to put a smile
1: on his face.
0: Ah, yes, the oh-so-important third date. (laughs) You know, that's the one where your spoiled, rotten daughter fakes an emergency to bust the whole thing up. Faith, that was devious, little girl. Not nice. Saying that there was Calling Nick on his date. Saying that there was something wrong with Nikki, that is really, really bad. And she has not been punished appropriately for it. It probably scared Nick half to death. Can you imagine getting a call say I don't even know what exactly she said, but just that something's wrong with grandma. I mean, can you imagine thinking your mother's dead? or I mean, she has MS and she could be, in, I don't know, she just could have fallen or uh, who knows? I mean, I'm sure that that really scared Nick. And I think it also made Nikki think she was losing her mind there for a minute Nick rushes back over and Nikki's perfectly fine walking around the house and looking at Faith like why would you try to wake me up and I wouldn't wake up what what they of course like completely figured it out I mean there was a moment where Nick and Nikki both simultaneously realized exactly what had happened that Faith was faking this whole thing just to break up Nick's date and I I Nikki had a talk with her about it but I hope that we see next week Nick having a far more firm conversation than with her than Nikki did. I mean, it's just not cool, kid. Not cool at all. I think we need to send her to bed without her chessboard. (laughs) It's just, it's pretty devious. I mean, honestly, I wasn't even feeling Nick and Chelsea until I saw how much Faith didn't want them together, and then I hopped right on board the Nick and Chelsea train, (laughs) just to spite Faith. Oh, well, Let's talk about the Nick and Chelsea train, you guys. I mean, we had a big, big week this week. Not only did we have the third, the third date apparently also equals the sex date. <laughs> the take off your wedding rings uh, after, you know, of your other spouse and then have sex with your new person date. Uh, thats I think that is traditionally what they say for the third date, right? Uh, <laughs> so let's let's get it on the table. That's our poll for this week. Are you in love with Nick and Chelsea? it's a pretty good question, I think, and I haven't really asked you guys in, a, in poll form how you feel about these two. Yrchat.com. I want to know, I want to see the votes on if you are in love with Nick and Chelsea, and I also want to see some comments, because I've seen some mixed comments so far. Honestly, throughout the first part of the week, I was watching the show, I was watching this couple, and I was thinking, Nick and Chelsea seem cute. Okay, they seem like they make sense, but I don't feel passionate about them, and I don't know why. I don't I don't know why. I will say I warmed up to it a little bit <laughs> after you know and during the sex scenes and it's not because of that it wasn't because of that I the, the moment where they had me was the moment where they sat and took off their their wedding rings there's a moment where um, Nick and Chelsea realize that they're becoming close and they're embracing the intimacy that's going on and Nick looks over realizes he still has his wedding ring on Chelsea looks over realizes she has hers and they just ceremoniously Kind of take off their ring, set it on the table in front of them, and and it was uh, a milestone moment where they they took off, shed off the you know that part of the past, and decided to move forward together with new memories. And there was a moment after they took off the rings where they just embraced. They just had a hug. It wasn't like yeah, I'm gonna take off my wedding ring so I can bone down. You know, it was it was just kind of like all right, well well let's let's embrace and we're friends too. You know, we're friends first. So that did dear me to them. Um, and I i think I've, I've been fighting it. I think in a, in a way, I, I'm fighting Nick and Chelsea's relationship because, probably because Chelsea and Adam, and, and hes he died just recently. It really hasn't been that long. It feels a little bit of a betrayal for her to be moving on. Uh, same, I guess, with, I don't know, Sage wasn't on the show for that long. Uh, but, you know, in, in, a, in a way, it does kind of feel like these two people are moving forward because they're sort of supposed to be together, or they're supposed to be okay with what's going on and in a way that makes it a little less passionate for me but I mean I I thought that their sex scene was very uh well done I loved the music that was playing over it it had a whole thing had a certain very like a certain vibe it was it was a very intimate scene I'm not gonna lie it made me blush a little Nikki has been great this week. Uh, she stops by to Victoria's house to see Reed and to try to connect with him and she ends up getting an earful from Victoria all about Reed's internet porning. <laughs> his, disc- his indiscretion. Uh, and I loved that Nikki just kind of laughed about it. I mean, obviously it wasn't right for him to be doing that and she admitted that but I think that Nikki's reaction to it, you know, thinking she going to be prude really helped add some levity to the situation and of course I was thinking watching the scene well I mean Nikki was a stripper (laughs) but uh, Nikki reminded Victoria that she posed nude I've heard about that from uh, you know just from history I wasn't watching at that time I don't think Uh, but Victoria apparently posed nude Victor had to go and buy every copy of the magazine Uh, uh, I guess he must have a room somewhere where he's got all the copies of Victoria's nude magazine all the copies of Ruthless (laughs) Uh, I thought that was a a good funny moment and it put Victoria in a little bit of a light like oh you know you are very conservative and very staunch right now but let us not forget that you were his age too you wanted to explore your own sexuality so let's 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 put that into perspective here I thought that was great. I thought Nikki gave Victoria some really good advice about being uh, a a parent, uh, you know, versus being uh, a friend. Uh, She dropped some teen lingo. uh, Victoria, uh, Nikki was saying things uh, that I don't think Victoria would have understood. I don't understand. Uh, Yeah, the teen lingo. I'm. I don't. uh, Nope. It went right over my head. I just. uh, (laughs) I just uh, would prefer the. Just spell it out for me, okay, guys. It was it was cute. It showed that Nikki is really trying. Nikki's trying. So it's time for Victoria to try. And I think that because of her conversation with her mother, Victoria realizes that instead of just only punishing bad behavior, she needs to start rewarding Reed's good behavior too. So she decides to buy him music lessons and she returns to him his guitar. The guitar is a positive thing for him. And so she wants him to have it. She gives it to him and she says it's on one condition. I, I want you to play for me. Play me a song. And it was, it was just such a... A a nice, another little moment of the week. It was soft. It was quiet. Victoria just sat there watching Reed play his song. She didn't judge him. She was just quiet. She was listening intently. Uh, and, And I just thought it was such a nice moment, especially since the song that Reed is singing is about relationships. It's about love. And I'm sure that it was really hard for Victoria to see her son as a man and realize he's not the little boy playing baseball anymore. He's he's growing up into into a young man. He has feelings. He's trying to just find a natural outlet for him for them. Uh, And I just thought, gosh, you know, in that moment where she's sitting there listening, it, it felt like it was almost the first time that she's ever really listened to him since he's come into town.
1: And instead of
0: punishing Cain for... Taking his shirt off and selling all that bare by brash and sassy, I'm sure that women were were just buying that for their man because they wanted their man to smell and look like Kane. Total success. Uh, instead of punishing Kane for her getting it up in a, on her interview, she gives him some new responsibilities and some new opportunities. And now we have Juliet. Our Juliet character has made her entrance. She is uh, an overseas resident for Brash and Sassy she's going to be working very close with Kane Um, I hope this doesn't develop into an affair but I'm afraid it's going to I mean Kane is feeling really insecure right now Uh, I think he feels like his capabilities are in question as a businessman as a man Uh, and Juliet is someone who likes his ideas gives him praise and it probably doesn't hurt that she's easy on the eyes Oh, I'm nervous for Kane. I mean, he's already going off on a business trip. Of, I'm sure it's the first of many. Um, he did manage to get one more sex scene with, with Lily, though, and it was pretty hot. It was a good thing that Lily sent Kane to heaven before Victoria Simson to Tokyo. Now here is a who said it quote that a lot of people got right from last week. The quote was, I don't like to waste food. (laughs) And it was Nikki who said that to Sharon when Sharon came to apologize for dumping the creamer over Nikki's head. She didn't like it because she doesn't like to waste food. (laughs) It was kind of a funny moment. I was hoping uh, that you guys would catch that. And indeed you did. So congratulations to the 10 people who Got it right. It was Henry, T. Nicole, Nancy, Michelle, Aaron, Marion, Lotfally, Gina, Jen, and Connor. Congratulations, you guys! You did very, very well. Let's see. I have a new one for you this week. I hope you. I hope you caught this. I bet you did. I think this will be another popular one. You tell me who you think said. Ooh sexy lumberjacks from the northwest <laughs> what on earth would that have been if you think you know you can go to yrchat.com leave your guess for who says "Ooh, sexy lumberjacks from the northwest <laughs> you can uh leave me your guess and if you get it right I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR chat
1: All right, it is
0: time to get to your comments, and I've got two pages of them, so kick back and get ready. (laughs) Uh, Anna left me a voicemail this past week saying, how can Colin steal from Jill twice how can he actually believe that that's going to make anything right between him and his wife? I, You know what, Anna? I don't know at all what Colin could be thinking. It makes no sense to me. Not only how he could steal from her once, but how he could steal from her twice and think that that's going to somehow ingratiate him with her. I also have to note that Anna did not like the Catherine letter writing scene. She thought it was creepy and it weirded her out. <laughs> she liked the uh, the superimposed Catherine that was by Jill's bedside the other week, but didn't like the writing desk scene. I'm so opposite on that. Uh, so, so I wanted to toss that out there too, because if you, if you didn't like that, then you are certainly not alone. But I would like to hear how people felt about that kind of recreation uh, this this past week. Connor left me a voicemail. It was so good to hear your cheery voice. Uh, Now, Connor was born in the 90s, so he didn't watch uh, The Triangle of Jill and Catherine and Philip during its original run, as I have not. Uh, But Connor was saying, you know, he really has experienced that storyline through flashbacks and always thought that Philip did love Catherine. And it didn't make sense to him that in her letter she was confessing that Philip loved only Jill uh, and and um Connor was kind of hoping that we could clarify. Um you know again I I didn't I didn't watch during that time. I think that this I I think that when we picked up on the marriage between Catherine and Philip it was they had already been married for quite a while. Um, so I think that probably we didn't get to experience the real real love story, uh, behind Catherine and Philip and why they got together in the first place. It was, it was, he was introduced a little bit, um, later into their marriage. So probably like most, um, most things in soap opera land, it's a marriage that that started off loving. Of course, I mean, these two people got married, uh, they were, were building a life together, but it sounds like it just sort of slowly fell apart uh, due to Catherine's drinking and smoking and all that stuff. Uh, and and where we kind of picked up more on the story seems like it was when the marriage was falling apart and uh, Jill was there to pick up some of the pieces. So I think it's fair to say that Philip loved Catherine. It's just, you know, in, in, his, in his later life, I think he was really starting to love um, Jill. But if you guys will bear with me for a moment, Connor inspired me just to plug out, uh, take out the the Wikipedia page on uh, Philip Chancellor. The second, I think, technically. He's Philip Chancellor the II. Uh, and I thought maybe I would just quickly read you um, the, a little bit of the backstory on this, because I think, I mean, I don't know, maybe the majority of us weren't watching at that time. So this is just a little bit of backstory. And if you have been watching the whole time, then you can testify uh, to the accuracy or inaccuracy of this information. But here's a little bit more for us. Um, Philip Chancellor II attended college with Gary Reynolds, and the two of these guys became friends. In November 1973, the wealthy Philip first appeared in the series as the husband of Catherine Chancellor, Gary's widow, uh, his wife of 12 years. So essentially, um, Philip knew Catherine's first husband uh, and we're picking up on the story um, a little bit later into their marriage. Philip and Kay's marriage was strained due to Kay's bad habits of infidelity smoking and alcohol addiction. She uh, excuse me, he tried to help Kay with her vices but he wound up starting an affair with with Kay's new paid companion Jill Foster and the two fell in love. After declaring their love for one another, Philip made plans to end his marriage to Kay and to marry Jill. Later, Philip and Jill conceived a child together and he officially left Kay to be with Jill. Philip served an upset, Kay with divorce papers and then left for the Dominican Republic, where he got the divorce granted before returning to Genoa City. Catherine picked him up from the airport, gave him a ride home, begged him for a second chance. But when Phyllis refused, excuse me, Philip refused, an angry Kay sped up and drove the car off a cliff in an attempt to kill them both. Philip survived the crash long enough to marry Jill on his deathbed. Philip was buried on the Chancellor estate. A property in the backyard. Uh, Jill later gave birth to his son and only child Philip Chancellor the I. I hope that you guys appreciate that a little bit of a chunk from uh, from the history. Uh, Gary left me a voicemail this past week and he's been watching since the beginning. So Gary saw this whole story unfold. Uh, So I I really wanted to get his opinion on this and present it to you guys. Uh, Gary says, I think that what was said in the letter was true. Catherine probably always knew the reality of the situation, but she denied it for 40 years. Uh, Gary goes on to say that even with Gene cooper gone the contents of that letter bring the jill and Catherine story completely full circle that's what was always missing Yes, I was. I really appreciated um, hearing that perspective, Gary, this week from someone who did see it during its original run. We see flashbacks, and a lot of times, probably due to the type of writing that we've had in the past couple of years, you get little snippets from it, but it's you know we, you don't get the whole story. And even as a fan, if if you didn't watch it during its original run, it's hard to almost even conceive of 40 years of a show's history. Oh, on that note, Jamie and Isabel left me voice message this week and Jamie has just started watching the show with her daughter Isabel. I think that's so cool. I want to watch Wainar with my daughter. Uh, but Isabel is a new Catherine Chancellor fan how about that Catherine Chancellor is still picking up fans even from beyond the grave <laughs> uh, but Isabelle had commented on the scene where uh, Catherine is walking up the stairs uh, which which um, it was her last screen appearance and it, it was very very sad and it is kind of hard to rewatch just knowing that she was very frail and weak and um, and she was having a little bit of trouble kind of moving up those stairs it's just, it's sad it is really sad to to, to see her interestingly kind of juxtaposed with being so strong-willed and telling Philip in that flashback that who needs you and signing the divorce papers and then looking at her uh, ascending those stairs um But uh, let's see. Uh, Isabel also really enjoyed watching uh, the flashback scenes. I'm thinking back to something that Gary had mentioned in his voicemails that he he is suspecting that maybe YNR doesn't really have the film from some of those earlier years. Because have you noticed that we've seen that scene before. We've seen that flashback of Catherine signing the divorce papers several times over the years. Uh, But it does seem like they cherry-pick certain scenes and then others just never show up I don't know if it's that YR thinks that they're not uh, as significant or they don't have time to go back into the archives and find it but Gary was theorizing that maybe they just don't have them I wonder if that's possible is it possible that some of the old YRs are are lost to CBS why I don't know why they wouldn't have preserved them I'm sure that there are some problems probably showing those old old uh, uh, flashbacks due to just the difference in the aspect ratio uh, TV has gone from being a square to being, you know, an HD, a widescreen. And uh, and I think that maybe they have some trouble formatting them or maybe they just don't have them. I don't know. Are they gone for good? I hope not. Um, Daisy on Facebook uh, left me a link to a video on YouTube. Some of our flashback scenes do still exist on YouTube, and I, I know that CBS tries to nab those as quickly as they can, so I do appreciate that there are people who have some classic clips there on YouTube, but uh, the link that Daisy sent me was a flashback to to, um, to 1975 um, within a newer scene, okay, and it was a, it was right Right after the car crash, right after Catherine just, you know, killed her husband. Uh, and it, 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 Catherine and Jill are having an argument in the hospital, I believe. And it's it's vicious. It's absolutely vicious. Uh, Jill accuses Catherine of murdering him on purpose. That was always um, something that was there, you know, that, the, that uh, Jill thought that maybe Catherine would have done it on purpose. They both knew what buttons to push of each other's. Uh, the scene that it was within uh, I'm not sure what year that flashback was occurring um, in, but it was uh, a really good one. It was Catherine thinking back to that moment and t- saying, Jill, you will pay. You will pay. I mean, there's just like I i, I went on a whole uh, da- when Daisy sent me that link. I went on a whole rabbit hole of watching anything and everything I could on the Jill and Catherine feud. Uh, I, there was a good one where she was imagining shooting Jill, just shooting her. Uh, that was really good. Uh, I watched a scene where uh, where, Kath- where Philip is for the first time telling Catherine that he wants the divorce and she is begging him not to do it not to leave her and um, They're really, really compelling. Gene Cooper is incredible. Um, The only thing that I feel like is missing from being able to find it on YouTube is the story of Jill and Phillip's affair. I feel like there's a lot of content we can kind of, well, not a lot, but we can go onto YouTube and we can see some of these old flashback scenes. But I want to feel a sense, and I wish they would, I know that they can't do this because it was played by a different actress, but I want to see how the affair between Philip and Jill developed. It's something that I think probably is, um, you know, was a very sweet love story, uh, and and it's not there. I mean, I feel like that's a big gap in my own understanding and experience of the show. Uh, just from watching the what I could, I really like the guy who played Philip. I'm going to put some videos up at yrchat.com. I'm going to curate uh, what I can pulling together a little bit of uh, classic episodes on, on the feud, so if you want to go to IRchat.com. Uh, I've got the videos up there so you can kind of, you know, take 10-15 minutes and get a little bit of a blast from the past. But the guy who played Philip was kind of really attractive. I was trying to figure out how, how I knew him. I, he, he was on the television show Soap in the 80s which I loved <laughs> I guess i was just destined to be a soap fan I don't know but uh I I never knew him from YNR at the time I I as soon as I I put two and two together um his name is Donnelly Rhodes um uh that he was on soap too I was like oh gosh that he looks so familiar and he's kind of sexy I like his whole vibe <laughs> still living by the way of course I had to wikipedia get some pictures going on of uh you guys should should, should check him out I don't know he, he has he had like a 70s mustache <laughs> <laughs> There's something wrong with mustaches on this show. Um, let's see here. Oh, oh, oh. Jamie in her oh no, I to, I wanna back up one second because I wanna mention one more thing that Gary had mentioned. Um, he had said that he says, I'm probably the only one who thinks this, but I can't see Jess Walton's Jill with Philip uh, Brenda Dixon's portrayal had a naivete and a sweetness about it um, I wonder if anybody else feels like that again it just feels like such a big gap uh, I, I wish we could find a little well of those initial scenes between uh, Brenda Dixon's Jill and uh, and uh, and Philip Chancellor but I wonder if anybody else still kind of struggles making the leap from the portrayal uh, that Brenda Dixon had and even though Jess Walton's been playing the Jill for decades uh, I I wonder if anybody else really still thinks back to the the Brenda Dixon version. Uh, I, I, I thought that was an interesting point. I know you're still having a hard time getting over Brenda Dixon Gary. <laughs> but anywho, so Jamie in her voice message had also zoned in on that scene between Billy and Chloe at the coffee house and said that she thought there was a little bit of a spark there um so does anybody else pull in for Billy and Chloe I hadn't really fully thought about it but I'd rather have Billy and Chloe than have him and Victoria again although she's lying to him about the paternity I mean every time we see little uh uh Bella with Billy it's hard to think Chloe you're really pulling a fast one here This is probably this man's child although I still wonder if they're gonna end up making at uh, Kevin's child. I don't know. But uh, we had th- talked a little bit last week about uh, Thad Luckenbill and uh, the fact that he is um, uh, Amelia Heinle, the the actress who plays Victoria's real-life husband. So, I mean, J.T. and Victoria went and got married in real life, and this week I saw on uh, uh, Soaps and Depth that they're getting divorced. I don't even know where that came from. There there was a story about them a week ago that they had just adopted a puppy together, and now this week the news has broken that they're getting a divorce. So there's probably less than a zero chance that J.T. will ever make his screen appearance again, because that would just... awkward for the actors I mean hopefully they're parting on good terms and everything Um, they have children together I believe so that is that's pretty upsetting Um, gosh uh, let's see A.C.O. had left me a message saying uh, last week, saying that Thad uh, is very busy these days because he's a movie producer. Fun fact, he produced La La Land. Uh, I know that was it was uh, nominated for uh, an Oscar, but I don't I don't I I didn't watch the Oscars. I'm not sure who won and who didn't. But I thought that was kind of interesting. A.C.O. Uh, Also, another uh, casting update Kate Fairbanks has been cast onto YNR as Tessa, a free spirited, fun loving singer. I don't know if that's going to be somebody uh, who's uh, somehow associated with Reed and his music career oh Gary I'm giving you a lot of attention this week but you also mentioned a good point in the voicemail uh, that uh, he says Allie I know you didn't miss Nikki's answer to Faith's question about how many weddings she had and uh, she said I think weddings are so much fun don't you <laughs> then she made a little face when Faith looked away yeah that was a cute moment of course Nicole at yrchat.com says I feel that Faith is a little version of Sharon. Don't get me wrong. I love the character of Sharon and enjoy watching her on the show. This scheming to pull Nick away from Chelsea sounds like something Sharon would do. Faith should be able to sit down with her parents and say how she feels. But this manipulation is not okay. And if no one puts their foot down, it'll only get worse. I really like that parallel, Tina Cole. I mean, in, in a way, it's like it w- I wouldn't put it past Sharon to be probing Faith to do this. Uh, Lot Valley at YRchat.com says, On the other end of the spectrum from Faith, little Johnny was beyond adorable this week in his scenes with Billy Boy and Victoria. It's nice to laugh out loud occasionally in the midst of all this drama, and Johnny was perfect. That was pretty cute. He got his first kiss from a girl and knocked her down <laughs> uh, finally here I like this guy. There was a comment from Zooperplex at YRchat.com talking about the scene where Victor and Nikki are are chatting uh, up Leanna Love's book, Ruthless, saying that it was nothing more than a product of sensationalistic tabloid journalism, but <laughs> Zooperplex goes on to make a long list of Victor's crimes, and, and just since 2014. <laughs> so, I mean, what are you going to put in your book, Victor? Are you going to list all of the crimes that you've committed. And I thought that got me thinking, Zuperplex. I wonder uh, if this week uh, or whenever we end up talking about Victor's book, uh, what, do, what what do you honestly think is the worst thing that Victor has ever done? What's the thing that Victor would never want to put in his book? I mean, I gotta say, I think the fact that he had Jack kidnapped uh, and and taken off to, where was he? And replaced him with a double That's, it's pretty freaking bad. Uh, but I thought that might be a fun fun little topic of conversation for this week. What is the worst thing that Victor Newman has ever done? Yeah, Victor Newman's going to be all too happy to tell us about the good things that he's done. Uh, Whitewash all the bad ones away. (laughs) But I I would read Victor Newman's book. (laughs) I was so excited to read Eric Braden's book. Yay. I I hope I have some time today maybe to to read a couple more chapters. I think a book review would be would be fun to do. So maybe I'll post that on, on YouTube after I finish. But I think that's, I think I'm finished for now. (laughs) It's an extra long one, but darn it, we had some history to get through. (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you leave me your comments. Yrchat.com is the website. You can also go to Facebook or YouTube or you can call into my voicemail at 309-588-4569. I always love hearing from you new fans and and veteran fans alike. So don't be shy. Uh, Leave me your comments And I'll be back next week to give you mine. Everybody, have a good week.
1: Bye.